Well, uh, did anybody watch any college football yesterday? College football? Okay. All right. Uh, did, every, did, did anybody's team not win yesterday? Your team? Did it not? I, I think everybody's team won, at least uh, in the SEC that I could see. They kind of blew up Facebook with all these different posts about Ole Miss and Mississippi State. And who did uh, Tennessee play yesterday? Oh, they, oh, Florida beat Tennessee? By one point. Oh, I didn't. Okay, now who do they play and where? How about that? Up there? Wow, see? See? How about that? Amazing. Amazing. I, I, saw, a for, I saw a photograph of uh, is this couple that was at the stadium in Knoxville, and the whole stadium, y'all have seen this, right? When you get your ticket, they tell you whether to wear orange or white. Did y'all see this on TV, anybody? The whole stadium was checkerboard, white and orange, all right? So that was amazing. Uh, Katy Perry was at Ole Miss yesterday. Somebody's saying, who the heck is Katy Perry? All right, fine. Uh, she, you know, lots of excitement. Uh, uh, it, it seems to me that uh, people who like SEC football are, are their own people group. Uh, they have a specific language, hotty toddy. Uh, they wear particular clothes. They have particular rituals. They worship in groves uh, in Oxford. I mean, it's a whole religion and a people group. I, I think we should have missionaries to uh, SEC football. I'm kind of kidding. Kind of, kind of. Okay, cowbell. See, I'm telling you, there's all kinds of stuff. You know, and if you're not in the tribe, then you don't really know what's going on. And there's pageantry, there's passion. Now, let me ask you a serious question. In all of that excitement, really, what's the big deal? I mean, really, what is the big deal? Bragging, what? Yeah, exactly. See? Yeah. I've stopped teaching and gone to meddling, haven't I? Now, see, I'm not being cynical here. I'm not, I'm not challenging it. I'm really asking a genuine question because I want you to think about what the big deal is. So come on, what is the big deal? And I, I phrase that in a way that sounds cynical and skeptical. What is there to be so ex- What's the excitement about? Where does that passion come from? Seriously. I've thought about this. Exactly. Being part of a group. Uh, it's a family tradition. My dad went there. My uncle went there. I, I had these friends at the Georgia Tech game yesterday. I went to high school with them. They're so excited. Big smiles. This one guy never smiles. But Tech must have won yesterday, so they're all happy about it. We're, it's because it's something bigger than life, okay? We go, uh, a couple that used to go here, I think either they got to the stadium or left for the stadium at 9.30 for the Tennessee game, which started at noon, okay? Uh, It's it's being part of something bigger than themselves. It it transcends life itself. When you're there and the team scores and there's all this excitement, it just gets you out of the mundane. And, and, And there is this sense of, again, we're part of a tribe. We're a clan. We're a family. It's that kind of thing. Now, I bring that up. Uh, because a lot of that happened yesterday, but because that same spirit is uh, pulsating through this letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. 
Now, I don't know. I don't think they had SEC football in the first century. Probably had the, you know, early precursors of it, maybe. I, I do know that Paul loved, you know, athletic events. He, he, lo- he uses metaphors like that uh, in his uh, letters. But that same passion for something bigger than himself, that sense of a family, not a natural blood family, uh, you know, people you have to love, but people that you have this affinity, you love this place, you love what, this school, you have all these men. Uh, Paul experienced that same kind of, let's call it what it is, fellowship around the gospel, around Jesus Christ. Paul was radically passionate about Christ. And when Paul saw the Lord Jesus Christ uh, save people, forgive people, heal people, restore people, it made him excited. And, And he was genuinely enthusiastic about it. And that enthusiasm, that passion for, for this grand kingdom of God is in, is in this, uh, the story that he tells this morning. Uh, the lesson before us here is uh, Philippians chapter 2, just two paragraphs. It's the end of chapter 2. Let me get to Philippians here. Uh, Philippians chapter 2. It's the end of chapter 2. It's verses 19 to 30. All right, Philippians 2. 19 to 30. Now, uh, let me just remind you about Philippians so far, all right? So it's only four chapters. You can read it pretty quickly. I bet everybody in here could read Philippians in about 25 minutes, even if you're not a good reader. Uh, You could probably read it in less than that. Hey, incidentally, do y'all know Karen Beck? Karen Beck, Randy and Karen Beck? She, She memorized the book of Philippians. I found out about that. I asked her to, like, refresh it. She's going to come and give us that recitation of it pretty soon to inspire us all. Uh, all right, Philippians. Now, take a look at chapter 1 and verse 5. I'm just hitting the highlights. Some of y'all watched game day yesterday. Some of you watch highlights of the game. They don't show you the whole game. They show you the hi- That's all I'm going to do. Look at verse Chapter 1 and verse 5, Paul talks about the team that he's on and why he's so passionate about this team. You, Philippians, and I are on the same team, and I give thanks. Look at what he says. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. That's verse 3. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. All right, just like you in those big plays yesterday that was so exciting, that got you up out of your chair, even if you might have been at home watching a game by yourself. That's how Paul feels when he thinks about these people because of who Jesus Christ was and what he had done and who he had become for them. So he's excited to pray. Here's the reason why in verse 5. This is really important in understanding the book of Philippians. They had, do you see the word in verse 5? They had a gospel partnership because of your participation and partnership in the gospel. They had come to know Jesus Christ. They had come to place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ had brought joy into their lives. He had changed people. He had caused people who were at odds to become reconciled. There was peace and joy. 
uh, and generosity in this assembly of believers. They had, they had uh, uh, entered into an, a partnership with Paul. They prayed for him. They sent him money. There was this genuine concern for each other. And he talks about that in verse 5. Now, look down at verse 12. Because of this partnership, Paul wanted to share his own life with them. And so he says in chapter 1 and verse 12, I want you to know, brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. This is all about the gospel. That's what was made Paul so excited, is what God was doing in this world full of broken people through the gospel. So Paul says, the things concerning me, my situation. So he tells them about his situation. Then uh, he talks about their situation. Look at chapter 1 and verse 27. So all all that section from chapter 1, verse 12 to chapter 1, verse 26 is Paul talking about himself, talking about his situation. Then he turns and he talks to them about their situation. You've been here, you know that there's a triangle. And if you think about Philippians with this triangle in your mind, Christ, the Philippians, and Paul. And in the middle of the triangle is the gospel. That's what connects Christ and the Philippians. It was the partnership that the Philippians had with Paul. It is certainly what connected Paul with Christ. The the gospel is in that triangle of love uh, uh, between Christ and Paul and the Philippians. So he's talking about them. Now, uh, Paul had something to say to them. And they had something they needed to hear from Paul. And that was to continue to be connecting the dots between my ordinary day-by-day life and the gospel. So look at chapter 1 in verse 27 and see Paul exhorting the Philippians to, and I quote, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, in that, that word, and I don't want to get off on this too far, but that's a word that talks about their citizenship. They were proud, friends, to be Roman citizens. Just like some of you are proud to be alumni of Ole Miss or Mississippi State or Memphis State uh, or University of Tennessee, there's some pride there, all right? And they had pride in, in being Roman citizens. And Paul taps into that pride and says, As proud as you are to be Roman citizens, be proud to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And let Jesus Christ be the one that generates your deepest passion. And so your life needs to be a gospel life. Now, as as you hear me saying that, you're thinking... Okay, he's, you know, trying to get me to realize that my life should be a gospel life, and I don't have a clue what that means. What does it mean to have a gospel life? Well, Paul's going to explain that. And let me tell you how simple it is. It's not real complicated to have a gospel life. Let's take a look. Um, Let's see. So he appeals to them about this citizenship, and then he appeals to them again in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Take a look where Paul, wanting them to have a gospel life, tells them to do something. Notice what he tells them to do, verses 3 and 4. Basically, he says this, 
think about somebody else other than yourself once in a while. That's really what he says. And, and, and at the bottom of that is this. Philippians, you have been loved. You have been blessed. Love somebody else. Bless somebody else. Don't just be a cistern. Be a channel of the love of Christ. Receive it. Be a cha- Receive as much love from God through Christ as you can stand. And then let that go and, and pour it on to other people. All right, that's what he says. See, look, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Just really care about other people. All right? Uh, uh, all right, so... Uh, And then he illustrates this from the life of Jesus Christ himself. Verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Paul talking about himself. Now Paul talking about the Philippians, telling the Philippians, live a gospel life. What is a gospel life? A gospel life is caring about other people, caring about other people the way Jesus did. How did Jesus care about other people? In that famous passage, verses 5 through 11, he illustrates Uh, He gives an example of caring for other people. Jesus was God. He had it made. But he left it all aside, and he came and took on human flesh. He became a servant. He died a death, even a death on a cross, so that other people could live and experience the fellowship with God that he had. All right? That's, That's the example. And now Paul comes back. And he says to them, again, specifically and practically, chapter 2 and verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for God is working in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So be obedient. Don't worry. God is in you working. You can't do it by yourself, but he's going to help you. He's in you doing his work. And so uh, Paul appeals to him. He illustrates the appeal. He appeals again. Uh, and, and now we come to the end of that section. Now, at the, at the final part of chapter 2, he's illustrating this same idea of gospel living. What does it mean to live like the gospel? Well, it just means serving others, caring for others, right? Now, he's going to illustrate that with two people who lived a gospel life, and they cared for people, all right? So that's where we are in the book of Philippians here at the end of chapter 2. Now, let's read this passage, and we'll see these two guys. Uh, The name of my lesson this morning is Gospel All-Stars. When Christ becomes the model, you get model Christians. When Christians are imitating Jesus Christ, they become model Christians. Here are two all-stars, two most valuable players. Timothy is one, Epaphroditus. Can you say that with me? Epaphroditus. It's going to be on the spelling quiz. Just kidding. Uh, these two guys, Paul says, man, they're all-stars. Uh, and All right, let's read the text. Chapter 2, verse 19. Paul speaking, he says, 
I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Maybe you want to underline those two words. Genuinely concerned. All right? Uh, Four, all these other people, they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So, receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me." All right, so now you can think your way through at least the first half of the book of Philippians. Paul thanking God for the Philippians' partnership in the gospel. Paul talking about his own circumstances and situation. Paul talking about the Philippians' circumstances and situations. Paul appealing to them to live a gospel life. And now, at the end of chapter 2, Paul is basically saying, okay, now, for both of us, for me, for you guys in Philippi, what's next? What does the future hold? And that's why he brings up these two guys. What's next for Paul and the Philippians is, I hope we can get together. I want to share with you. I want to be with you. I know you want to hear about me. And and that's what we're looking for in the near future. Uh, And so, you know, the way to do that was not to Skype. They didn't have that capability. So they sent these messengers. So Paul saying, I want to send Timothy and I want to send Epaphroditus. Now, you might ask a couple of questions. Uh, who were these guys? Why were they important? And why did Paul want to send them to Philippi? Well, here's the answer. They were with Paul. They were his all-stars. They, like Paul, were living a gospel-centered life. And so Paul points to them. He's like, I'm appealing to you guys to live a gospel life, which is to say, not to be selfish, but to be concerned about others because of your relationship with Christ. And so, Paul points to these two guys who were wonderful illustrations of that very point. That, that's all this is, okay? So, let's think about this, and then we'll make a couple of applications. There's really three people here that Paul's talking about. Really, he's, he's, he's ultimately talking about himself. Uh, look at chapter 2 and verse 17. Paul loved the Philippians. Paul was living a gospel-centered life. Paul was willing to lay down his life for the Philippians. Uh, look at verse 17. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Now, a New Testament scholar said this little verse is almost unique in everything that Paul wrote. In this little verse, 
Paul is reaching into the Old Testament and he's just grabbing all these phrases, all these images of the sacrificial system, pouring out offerings, all of that stuff uh, to say to the Philippians, friends, I love you so much, I give you my life. That's what he's saying. So, so he himself is a prime illustration of this gospel-centered laying your life down for somebody else who you consider to be more important than yourself. All right, that's example number one. Example number two is Timothy. Now, the difference between uh, the example with Timothy, and you can sneak back and look at chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul and Timothy to the Philippians. All right, so Timothy was like Paul's right-hand guy when he wrote the letter. Timothy served with Paul like a son serves with a father. Epaphroditus, on the other hand, take a look at verse 25. Epaphroditus served as a peer. He, Paul, Paul calls him a brother. So you have one guy that Paul has this father-son relationship with, and you have this other guy who Paul has this equal peer, friend, fellow worker relationship with. Uh, we don't do this anymore, but back in the day, many of you will know, maybe I'd be interested to know if you experience this, uh, kids used to grow up working literally side by side with their dad, doing the same kind of work. Did anybody have that experience? Anybody? Hugh, you did work side by side with your dad. Now, what, what was that work? Farming, Farming? yeah. And, and see, that, that would be an example from our history, where a child would grow up in a family literally smelling his dad, hearing his dad swear when he hit his thumb with a hammer or not swear, you know, and wondering why and, you know, working right with... All right, so that's what Paul is talking about when he says of Timothy, like a son with a father, he's worked with me in the gospel. That, that doesn't mean so much anymore because, you know, when we grew up with our dads, a lot of us, we didn't know what in the world our dad did or maybe every once in a while we'd go to his office and, what you know, what do you do all day? Uh, people ask me that all the time. Uh, I only work an hour a week. I mean, what do I do all day? I do crossword puzzles and twiddle my thumbs. But now, just look at a couple of things that Paul says about Timothy. Uh, first of all, you see the paragraph here between the lines on the sheet? Notice at the beginning and the end of this paragraph on Timothy, Paul expresses his trust and dependence on the Lord. Paul knows that Jesus is ultimately in control here. Do you see where he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. In verse 24, I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come. I don't have all this under control. God willing, I'm depending on the Lord here. But now look at the description of Timothy in verse 20. There's nobody like him. How, how Paul? How is Timothy so unique? Well, He's genuinely concerned for your welfare. In contrast, do you see verse 21? In contrast to these other people who seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Do you see how Paul pairs their welfare with the concerns of Jesus Christ? Do you see how Christ made the Philippians his chief concern? That's what Paul is saying here. Paul's saying there's nobody like him. Genuinely concerned. He loves you guys. Really loves you. Notice verse 22. 
proven worth. This guy's road tested. He showed himself faithful uh, beyond any... There's no doubt about it. He's a reliable guy, trustworthy. He's got credibility. He's got integrity. As a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. So I can't wait to send him to you, but I I just want to make sure I send him at the right time. All right, now, verse 25. So that's the second example. The first example was Paul. I, I would gladly lay down my life for you. The second example is Timothy, who served with Paul like a father and a son in Christ. The third example is this guy, Epaphroditus. Uh, you've heard of Aphrodite. So possibly Epaphroditus grew up in a, a Gentile home. Maybe they were worshipers of, of Aphrodite, goddess of love, uh, I don't know, but it's just an interesting Greek name. Now, uh, Epaphroditus, first of all, was balanced. He was also burdened. And finally, he was a blessing. Now, this guy, probably one of the foremost experts on the Apostle Paul, says this short paragraph about Epaphroditus shows Paul to be a man of great tenderness who writes warmly, even glowingly, of his friend and colleague from Philippi. So, first of all, Epaphroditus was balanced. Look at verse 25. What do we mean by balanced? Well, he, he describes Epaphroditus in five ways. There's, there's three different terms he uses, and then he says two other things. Uh, three terms that describe Epaphroditus' relationship with Paul and two of them that reflect Epaphroditus' relationship with the Philippians. All right, let's talk about Paul describing Epaphroditus in relationship to himself. What does he say? What are the three things? Actually, tell me. What, what are they? My brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier. Those get specific. They, they get increasingly specific, and that word my governs all three of those terms. Uh, so, first of all, he's a brother. Epaphroditus had balance in his life. He had relational fellowship, openness, whatever you want to call it, intimacy with the Apostle Paul. So, so there was a relationship there. Paul called him a brother. The second thing he says is what? He's a fellow worker, okay? So, Not only was he committed to the fellowship of the gospel, but he was committed to the furtherance of the gospel. So so Epaphroditus was uh, walking the walk with the Apostle Paul, had had actually done the work with the Apostle Paul, work which included at times taking a shot for the team. The third thing he says is what? Fellow soldier, my fellow soldier. We've been in battle together. What, what would that mean for Paul? We're not talking about shooting bullets at the, at the enemies. We're talking about standing up there, talking about Jesus, and have people mock you and scorn you and maybe throw something at you. Now, you know, I've never had anything like that, but every once in a while, like on Facebook, I, I will step out there and speak some truth to some people that are off. Uh, college roommate saying all this, uh, you know, that I want to be discreet here or kind, uh, just like way over-occupied in the Old Testament. 
Uh, we just had Rosh Hashanah. Did I, I might have mentioned this earlier, but we just had Rosh Hashanah. He puts this thing on there about Old Testament. Now, did I or did I not just finish teaching the book of Leviticus in here? Did, you remember that? I, I majored in Old Testament in seminary. I studied Hebrew, okay? I'm telling you, these guys are off base. And I gently, kindly said that. And I got whacked for it, okay? One guy called it a bag of dot, dot, dot. And, and uh, my, my buddy took it off because he knew I loved him. And I was, you know, just taking one. And it was, you know, mildly disturbing. And I spent some time thinking about it, et cetera. Well, that's what Epaphroditus and Paul had encountered feedback, pushback, turbulence for Jesus Christ. Did Jesus ever experience turbulence? Did he ever conflict with people? Holy mackerel. Just watch that movie based on the Gospel of John sometime. I forget what it's called, but it's literally the text of John put, put into dramatic form. It's really good. I was amazed at how much conflict there is in the book of John. Jesus with the religious establishment. Uh, lots of conflict there. Uh, uh, Paphroditus uh, was balanced. Some people, all they want to do is fight. Fight about the truth. Fight about the gospel. But they don't have any relationships with anybody. Other people, all they want to do is serve. Martha, Martha, you were worried and distracted by many things. But your sister Mary has chosen the fellowship part. And that's the most valuable. Some, some people just serve, serve, serve. But they don't relationally have much going on with Jesus Christ. Much less be able to defend the gospel. Or think about it clearly. Epaphroditus was balanced. That's what, made, that's what makes a person an all-star, right? They can hit. They can field. Sorry to change the metaphor from football to baseball. But uh, they, they, they're the whole package. And so was Epaphroditus. Now, not only was he balanced, but he was burdened. Uh, in verse 26, do you see it? He has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Not distressed that he was ill, which would be me, okay? Uh, but he's distressed that you heard he was ill. And Paul says, yeah, he was ill. As a matter of fact, he was, you know, in our vocabulary, hospitalized. He was in ICU. That's what Paul is saying of his buddy. He was near to death. But because I'm a charismatic and I have the gift of healing, I healed him and now everything's okay. And you should never be sick either because you should always pray and you're going to always be healed because that's, a, that's not what he says. Even though Paul had probably used that gift of healing from time to time, Paul is not interested in taking the spotlight and shining it on himself. He shines the spotlight on God and he says, God had mercy on him. Uh, not only on him, but on me also lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Now, I find this mildly interesting that the guy who, I'm talking about Paul, in chapter 1 said, for me to depart and be with Christ is better by far. Do you remember that? He said that. For me to live is Christ and to die is a terrible tragedy that no one should ever want. Is that what he said? No, it isn't. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm telling you, if I'm honest, I'm still working on that. I, I'm, I'm confronting my own thinking with that paradigm. And you know, I get up close to some of you people at times who were experiencing death. 
And it doesn't seem to be gain to me, at least from the perspective of the one who isn't dying. And I'm struggling with pastorally, how do you talk about that with somebody? And I've kind of tiptoed in there, uh, particularly with Bill Luckett and Joan. And I, this is what I say. I don't know how, but that's what the guy said. I find it hard to believe it, but that's what he said. And I think he meant it. And I don't think he was crazy. So I find it interesting that Paul, who said, for me, to die is gain, also says, man, if my buddy Epaphroditus were to die, I would have sorrow upon sorrow. I would be sad. That's interesting, isn't it? Does it sound real to you? It sounds real to me. It doesn't sound like this hokey, fabricated, super, you know, Christians are always smiling all the time and all that. That's not what I hear here. I hear a guy who genuinely loved this man and didn't want to lose him. But of himself, thinking about his own death, he said, man, that'd be gain. That's interesting to me. It has the ring of truth. Uh, All right, so he was burdened about the Philippians. And finally, he was a blessing. I'm already talking about that. Uh, Paul's like, man, I'm glad God spared him. Uh, He's a blessing to me, and I'm eager to send him for you. And then at the end, here's the punchline. Verse 29, here's what he wants the Philippians to do. And it's in the notes here. Uh, Basically, Paul is saying, this text is saying to me and you, we need to honor people like this. We need to honor all-stars like this. The first thing we need to do, first of all, you know, is to be an all-star, which is to live a gospel-centered life. And secondly, uh, it's to honor the all-stars. First of all, by rolling out the red carpet, Paul says, receive people like this with all joy. Show him unbridled enthusiasm. Now, I'm not this way naturally. I have to fake it. But uh, some people are this way naturally. Uh, My son-in-law's dad... Man, he lights up a room like nobody you have ever seen. Now, I can come into a room, just kind of slip around the side. You'd never know I was there. This guy, man, he just lights it up. And uh, who's the other example? Oh, yeah, this other man I knew, he's a pastor in Canada. You know, he would come up to David. Hey, David, how you doing? And this is this genuine regard. You know who else does that to me? Is Jerry Brasher. Jerry, I love, I love seeing you. Hey, John, how you doing? Big handshake. Now, so that's inspiring to me to the point that I try to fake it. I try to act like I'm glad to see you. And, uh, and you know, maybe the Lord will help me genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Because that's what Timothy... Timothy was genuinely concerned. Friends... Uh, That's a good thing for us to hear in regard to each other. That when we see each other, there's a... What's the greeting, the approved greeting in the New Testament for one another? Greet each other with a holy kiss. I mean, that's warm and affectionate, okay? Uh, that's That's the paradigm. I was convicted by this. My daughter called me, uh, I don't know, Thursday. I was at work. It's like 3.30 in the afternoon. I'm brain dead. She calls me. She's driving home in the rain from Des Moines to Memphis. First thing out of her mouth. Is it Highway 61 or 161? I'm thinking, who is this? It's my daughter. 
She wants to know. She does not have a road atlas. She does not have a GPS. She's using her phone. She's burning through data like, you know, nobody's business. And I have to admit, I did not receive her with unbridled enthusiasm. It sucked a few little glimpses of kindness I had. Now, I didn't bust her, and I wasn't mean to her. I don't think I offended her. But this convicts me. When my children call me, hey, how you doing? You know, and I wouldn't mind it if you told me who you were, you know. Uh, But be convicted by this. And that's what I meant when I said this gospel-centered life that we're called to live sometimes is pretty simple. It's what your face does when you see somebody else. It's what your hand does when you see somebody else. It's how you really think about other people. Uh, Okay, so I'll just leave it right there. In conclusion, he says, honor such men. Uh, It's to have a regard. Uh, Edgar Sathaluri, y'all met that guy, Edgar Sathaluri? You know Edgar? He's a guy from India. I think he's in his 40s. Correct me if I'm wrong. He had a terrible stroke 14 years ago. Is he in his 40s? I, I drove him over here. He's super disabled on his right side because of this stroke. You know, he's from India. He's coming to Germantown, affluence. You know, he's got this suit on and, uh, you know, I, I, I just, and Paul is saying, guys like that, you need to honor them. Uh, when veterans fly to Washington, D.C., uh, wherever I was yesterday, I saw a guy with a Vietnam vet hat on. I mean, we need to like honor people like that. Well, we need to honor each other like that as well. Uh, so, so that's part of the issue. All right. Now in conclusion, and I mean it, listen to this last part at the end of the, at the end of the sheet here. Okay, John, I know I should be nice and kind and thoughtful of others, but is this true? Is Christ like Timothy genuinely concerned for my welfare? Did Christ set his own interests aside for me? Did the son really serve his father like Timothy served Paul as a son with a father? Did the son really serve the father to save me? And if so, at what cost? Did Christ die for me causing his father sorrow upon sorrow like Paul anticipated Epaphroditus' death? Did Jesus Christ not just almost die but actually die and cause his father sorrow upon sorrow? So that God could have mercy on me? Did Christ risk his life and die to complete what was lacking in my service to God? Yes. 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 He's as real as Paul was to the Philippians. And like Paul, he's coming shortly. Will you receive him with unbridled enthusiasm? Will you honor him? Don't let this be just that part of your life that made you a Christian. Jesus Christ is every bit as concerned about you as Timothy was about the Philippians. And not just got close to death like Epaphroditus, but died so that God could have mercy on you. Jesus did that. Since Him in these all-stars... 
And let your ambition to live that gospel-centered life be because of who he is and what he's done and what he wants to do in your life like he'd done in the lives of those Philippians. Let's close in prayer. So, Lord, I do pray blessing on these men and women uh, in this room today. I ask, Lord Jesus, that, that your Holy Spirit would convict them and draw them and, and pour out the love of God in their minds and their hearts, that they would know that you, Lord Jesus, don't just fake it, don't just fake affection for us, but you, like nobody else, are genuinely concerned for our welfare. Thank you, Lord Jesus. May we rest in this. May we exult in it. May it kindle our passion like those who love SEC football because they're part of something bigger than themselves. All for you and for your name and for your glory. Amen.